0: Josh wasn't perfect, you know. He he takes hits, and and obviously the elbow, you know, he had the setback against the Jets. Um, but he's a warrior. He's not going to use it as an excuse. I think as the year progressed, after that injury, it was getting better and better. He was able to remove the brace that he had to wear for the first few weeks. Um, you know, no one's 100 percent though. But Josh is uh, he's doing well. I know he's he's played golf a few times, and and he's kind of hitting the hitting the reset. But uh, he'll be ready to roll coming this offseason. Brandon being Bill's general manager, when did the Michael J. Fox back to the future vest become standard issue for NFL coaches and general managers and certain reporters who showed up for dinner the other night? I thought you had two coats on. Nope. Took the coat off and there was the Michael J. Fox life preserver from back to the future.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, I can tell you that in 2017, when we were both with the Los Angeles Rams, Matt LaFleur and I all both had that, you know, life preserver vest. So I'd like to think that we were trendsetters.
0: Well, Michael J. Fox was the trendsetter <laughs> back in 1985. One of the great movies of all time that Miles Somebody's now bring it back. to watch out of spite out of spite. Yeah. The only reason he won't watch it now is because I've been telling him for 2 plus years you need to watch it and he's not going to because he doesn't want to give in to me telling him he should watch, it. but that's fine. One of these days you're going to watch it and you'll enjoy it. Maybe when I'm dead. Maybe that will be your way of remembering me. After I die, you'll watch back to the future. Okay. Uh, on that happy note, we are another Friday closer to death, so it Ooh. fits with the whole theme of the show. <laughs> Josh Allen was one of these guys where I wondered when the season ended, are we going to hear a few days later he's had surgery? Just like Jalen Hurts. After the Super Bowl, I'm thinking, are we going to find out he had shoulder surgery? And if if he did, we haven't found it out yet. But Josh Allen, that injury he suffered back in November, it looked bad. It looked like he was going to miss time. There's that question heading into that epic game against the Vikings. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Is it going to be Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs, the two ends of the Minneapolis miracle, taking on the Vikings, which would have been something. Here's the injury against the Jets, where he's throwing. And it was the same thing that happened to Brock Purdy. And, hey, it messed Brock Purdy up a hell of a lot more than it messed up Josh Allen. So Allen on yeah. track, no surgery. He'll be fine playing golf, etc., etc. But it just shows you, when you get caught in that awkward position, and this is why they protect quarterbacks, folks. I'm not in favor of a hyper-aggressive application of the roughing rules, but this is why they protect quarterbacks. They're in an extremely delicate posture. They're not just standing there. They're moving against the flow of these very large, fast, strong men. Your body is going this way. They are coming that way. That's how you get yourself injured.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's one of those risks that you have whenever you're standing back there and like sitting duck. And now, you know, like we were talking about at the top of the show, you got these really, really fast and strong defensive linemen. They're coming through, they're coming at you. And even Josh Allen is big and as strong and as tough as he is. He is in that vulnerable position. So it's good that he didn't need surgery. You know, as being said, he's playing golf. He's doing these different things and he'll be ready to go for the offseason program. And I, I really think that this is going to be a critical off-season program for Buffalo, Mike, because of everything that happened last year when it comes to the end of the season. They just were not good enough. They weren't playing their best football at the end of the year. And you saw how they got steamrolled by Cincinnati at home in the snow. That's where Buffalo is supposed to thrive, and they just did not do it. They've got to get back on track early and get that nastiness of the taste out of your mouth from that second straight divisional loss.
0: One thing that I've learned over the years of being in this business and going to the events like the Combine where we have a setup as part of the car wash that the coaches and the general managers may or may not participate in, at different stages of the life cycle of a coaching staff slash front office, they can be very willing and accommodating and happy to show up and spread the gospel as it relates to the Buffalo Bills or the Dallas Cowboys. I made this point yesterday in the context of Mike McCarthy when he became the coach of the Cowboys. Yeah, sure. He shows up. 25-minute conversation. Great. Everything's fine. Now, up, oh, not doing anything out the door. Bill's not doing anything out the door. I, I really do think. And I think one of the reasons they wouldn't come on our show is I've been a little too candid with my thought that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are under pressure because you've got Josh Allen, and what do you have to show for it? You have one AFC championship appearance, two straight divisional round losses, with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, guy who's on par with Patrick Mahomes, Where's the talent around him? And Joe Burrow. Where's the key coaching moves? Right. The key coaching moves made at the right time. Where is that? And I really do think that one or both of those guys is on hot seat on 10 going into the 2023 season, Miles. And that's one of the reasons why they're keeping their heads low and their mouths shut when it comes to doing the media that isn't the cluster of people who cover the team.
1: Well, and look, and now there's even more pressure on Sean McDermott with Leslie Frazier deciding to step away from the 2023 season. And, you know, it's kind of interesting the way that came out and the timing of it you know, the beginning of combine week and now they don't really know yet who's going to call plays. Is it going to be Sean McDermott? Is it going to be somebody else on the staff? It's stuff that they are still working through. So there's a lot of different things that are going to go into this Bill's 2023 season and how successful they are or not. But I also just want to say, look, I added Joe Burrow in there because I think when we talk about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, sometimes we leave Joe Burrow out of the equation a little bit too much. Cincinnati Bengals have done more in the last two years than the Buffalo Bills, like by a lot. So, you know, whenever we're talking about these top dudes, we need to make sure that Joe Burrow is in that conversation because he's been to a Super Bowl. He's been to two straight AFC championship games. Josh Allen hasn't done that.
0: I agree with you, and I'm glad that you pointed that out. Uh, As it relates to Leslie Frazier, if we accept the fact that this was truly voluntary on his part and that it wasn't some sort of a delayed reaction, soft firing, you know, weeks after their season ended, it it could be that he just decided, man, it's going to be rough this year. There's a lot of heat on everybody. I can already sense it. Right In the discussions we're having, I can already sense that the heat's turned up on Sean McDermott. The heat's turned up on the front office. They know. And I, that was one of the concerns going into the 2022 season. Everybody's picking the bills right. to win the Super Bowl. It's like, why is the pressure on us? The Bengals are the ones who went there last year. The chiefs are the perennial favorites. Why the hell are we the ones? What have we done in 30 years? Why are you putting all the pressure on us? And maybe Leslie Frazier decided, uh, you know, as Danny Glover said in lethal weapon, one, two, three, four, and five, I'm getting too old for this shit. Maybe that's what he decided. I don't know. I know I'm getting too old for this shit. So uh, that's twice in just a few seconds. See miles. I can get away with it until I don't. We'll see. We'll see. I'll keep it posted. I still think they're really – well, we're not live today. I confirmed before the show that we're not live. I guess we're only live on Fridays in season. And they did have Mm -hmm. six hours of us live this week. And instead of having their finger on the button, I don't know if we've had this conversation. They just put the disclaimer at the bottom. Strong language is used in this live program (laughs) with the "me" at the end, the fancy – London way that. of saying program or spelling yeah. program. They say it the same way. They just spell it different. Schedule, they spell it the same way. They say it different. Program, they say it the same way. They spell it different. Anyway, that's my that's my uh, offering as it relates to the difference between British and American culture. Okay. The Jets looking for a veteran quarterback and making no bones about it. They're looking for a veteran guy. Joe Douglas, the GM of the team, said it this week. Here's Robert Sala, not at the Combine, but still doing a press conference on Zach Wilson's future with the Jets, if and when, when they add a veteran quarterback. If you acquire a veteran quarterback who's, like, in his early 30s, who's going to stick around for a while, you would presume,
2: where does that leave Zach in terms of the Jets, like, two years down the road? Like, what's his future then? um you know that's a good question question, rich it's uh you can't look at it that way um you guys know me it's stay in the moment and try to do everything we can to help everyone get better be the best version of themselves they can be so whether um you know we we bring in a guy who's in his early 30s and and you know he's going to be here for a while you the the focus is to just help him get better um as best as he can and if it's if if his best gets to be showcased here as a New York jet. Awesome. If not, it's still awesome because all we want is what's best for him and, uh, and his development no different than any other player on our roster. Uh, that's our job to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help them find ways to reach their max potential as coaches. And, and then Joe and his staff, their job is to continue to push the envelope and finding, finding players who can continue to maintain that standard. So, um, Uh, So to answer your question, I don't have it for two years from now. I don't don't know what that means. I just know our focus is to try to help him get as best as he can.
0: And, And look, I accept that explanation. I like Robert Sala. I trust that he's telling the truth. I just wonder whether some in the organization look at this Zach Wilson situation and think, we don't really want another Geno Smith. We don't want, because maybe the best thing for Zach Wilson right now is the ultimate indignity of being thrown out. Like, I mentioned this yesterday, when the Eagles did it to Chris Carter, when he needed a wake-up call, and the ultimate wake-up call was, you're fired, and he goes to Minnesota and he becomes a Hall of Famer. If Zach Wilson needs that to reach his full potential, are there forces within the organization that are resisting that because they don't want to be embarrassed by Zach Wilson going somewhere else and becoming a star player? I can understand why they would feel that way, but it's truly not in the best interest of the player if you're holding back the thing that you think you need to do to get this kid's attention. And, and this is common to football. You always want the guy to have the epiphany before you fire him. I think that's why the Vikings held on to kicker Blair Walsh far longer than they should have. They wanted him to wake up short of kicking him out the door. And then they kicked Daniel Carlson out the door prematurely. And he went on to become a great kicker with the Raiders. So... I think that mindset creeps into these decisions. I just hope they're not squatting on Zach Wilson for fear that he's going to go somewhere else and become a Geno Smith and make the Jets look bad.
1: Oh, but it also did take Geno Smith years and years down the line to then make the Jets right. look bad, right? I, but I, I understand what you're saying. But I mean, still make
0: the if, Jets look bad.
1: Yes, I, yes, I guess so. I, but look, I mean, with Zach Wilson, it just – I feel like we all know that it's not really going to work with him and the Jets, At least, at least with this current regime – It's not. You you don't have what he went through last year and being benched for Chris freaking Streveler of all people. It's really hard to come back from that. It's really hard, at least in my mind, to think that that team and that brass is going to believe in you ever again when they replaced you with that guy in that situation and there was reason for them to bench zach wilson for chris streveler at that time in that game so i mean you know it's been the yo-yo effect right it's zach wilson it's mike white it's zach Wilson, joe flacco it's this it's that and it's just clearly not working yet with those guys and with zach wilson so i mean if i'm him There's a chance that I just would be like, dude, trade me, cut me, do something. But I don't want to be here anymore, you know? And maybe that wouldn't look the best for him in terms of what his image is and his reputation is. But we all understand that the best thing probably for both parties is for them, is for the Jets to let Zach Wilson go. And whether or not he turns into something else, I mean, you just got to let the consequences be damned, I think.
0: Chris Seveler. Streveler, Or Seveler. Streveler. I'm screwing up mm-hmm. my bit. I'm trying to set up my bit and I completely screwed it up. Anyway, Chris oh, wow. Streveler, C S. Same initials as catching strays. Because he caught a stray from Miles Simmons there, man. Benchford of all people, Chris Streveler, Jeez. That guy won a great cup. How dare you? Okay. He was, Mike he White was didn't elevated off the
1: practice cup, squad. But, I mean, come on. I know, I'm I know, sorry. I
0: know. I know. I know. I know. I'm just playing around. Uh, Mike White is due to become a free agent. Robert Sala said that White should be on the Jets roster in 2023. That's a little presumptuous. I mean, maybe one of these teams out there is thinking, we like the cut of this guy's jib, whatever that means. We want to bring him in. We want to give him a chance to compete. We see him as a guy who could really get it done, and they love that guy in the locker room. I just think that just complicates everyone's life. I, I feel like the Jets need a hard reset at the quarterback position. Move on from everyone wilson white streveler all of them gone we're going to start over because that whole mike effing white dynamic that's already in the locker room if he's still on the team they're not going anywhere so now you just assume that they're going to ditch mike white for Derek carr or aaron Rodgers or whoever and maybe they will i remember when there was reportedly a schism in Minnesota about Tavares Jackson versus Brett Favre and then Favre showed up for practice one day and started slinging it around and it wasn't a schism anymore. So maybe that maybe that's the only way the Jets salvage this. We got these guys who have already been here, but we're upgrading so dramatically that it's obvious right away. We can go ahead and burn the Mike F and white t-shirts.
1: Yeah, No, I mean, I, I think that Mike White might be best served by moving on as the Jets might be best served by moving on from him, too. I, and, I, and I think you're right about the hard reset at the quarterback position for the New York Jets. And also, I mean, keep an eye on the Los Angeles Rams for Mike White. I mean, I know Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic has reported this, that they will likely be interested in him, given the fact that Michael LaFleur is now the Rams offensive coordinator. And obviously he was calling plays for Mike White with the New York Jets before. So I don't I, I do think it's a little presumptuous for Saul to be like, oh, yeah, he should be back. I, I don't know about all that.
0: hmm. Ooh, I can't wait to see some blue and gold Mike F and white T-shirts. Won't We're that fun. be something? I wonder mm-hmm. what I wonder what Matt F and Stafford is going to think of that. All right. Uh, <laughs> now the Jets, as they clearly look for a veteran quarterback, Derek Carr, a guy, speaking of Stafford, Derek Carr, a guy the Jets are considering. And Sala said yesterday, with a straight face, I assume, that Derek Carr is, quote, in line with where Matthew Stafford was before going to the Rams and this is the next level of this this storyline that Derek Carr is great quarterback who was caught with bad team Matthew Stafford great quarterback caught with bad team and yeah Derek Carr I would say it's more like good to above average quarterback caught with bad team and one of the reasons the team was bad because the quarterback was only good to above average I don't think this one lines up but, but again, they're trying to recruit the guy. They want yeah. to sign him. He's their plan B if they don't get Aaron Rodgers. So you got to say nice things about him in the hopes that he chooses you over the Panthers or whoever once you find out that Aaron Rodgers is going to stay in Green Bay or go wherever.
1: Yeah, or go back to the darkness. Look, I mean, it's interesting when you hear something like that because, yeah, Derek Carr has been to the playoffs, you know, once basically because he had the the broken leg in 16 And, you know, he's been on a team. They haven't had much success. And Matthew Stafford, he's been in the playoffs a couple of times. Team, hadn't had much success. Arm talent, I think, is better with Matthew Stafford. Derek Carr has shown some leadership ability. He's shown that he can be good in the right situation. But it's got to be the absolute right situation. And I think Matthew Stafford sometimes as a quarterback has overcome some bad situations to elevate guys into maybe being better than they otherwise would be. But I don't... I don't really see that Derek Carr is in line with Matthew Stafford when it comes to the talent as a QB, but if you're trying to recruit him, then obviously that's the kind of thing that you're going to say because it's nice.
0: And they're definitely not the same guy when it relates to personality and leadership style. Stafford, very quiet, close to the vest, leads by example, and and Carr is the exact opposite. Sometimes he gets criticized for it, but... The reality is he's the exact opposite of Stafford when it comes to those kinds of qualities that you're going to bring to a team. And that's part of what needs to be factored into the final decision by any team that's going to try to sign him. How does he fit with our current locker room? Will our current locker room accept him? Will they reject him? How's it going to go? What's it going to be? And and again, there's only a small handful of great quarterbacks. Everybody else still needs a quarterback. And Derek Carr falls into that category, just like Kirk Cousins. You know, Vikings fans want to move on from Cousins. Cousins. Who are you going to get if it's not Kirk Cousins? You still need a guy who can get it done, and Cousins can get it done well enough to keep you in the conversation, but not yet well enough to take you to the top. Well, chances are one of those guys at the top is going to be the team that takes his team, or the guy that takes his team to the top any given year. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. More fallout from this comprehensive survey of how the teams treat their players and the players families from facilities to weight room to training staff to how the families are treated when they're at the stadium etc etc some interesting stuff as we take a deeper dive into that we'll discuss that when pft live continues right after this
2: around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable And the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Some more
0: details arising from that NFLPA survey of players as we take a deeper dive. The Ravens had bad marks when it comes to strength coaches. F-minus. The Bart Simpson F-minus. And you know, a lot of A's for strength coaches. Sims made that point yesterday. Strength coaches are are guys that are always positive and helpful and they, they're doing everything they can to to help the players become the best physical specimens they can be. F-minus in Baltimore. Some really strong remarks, too, on Twitter from some current former. I think they're all former. I don't know. Probably former is more likely to pop off. Then again, it didn't stop Rashad Bateman on the receiver issue. Uh Says Carl Davis Jr., I was definitely a victim of the strength coach's two labrums and multiple pec strains. That comes from... You know, exerting yourself excessively and not being in the proper condition to go out there and lift heavier weights. Bam Bradley, five months post-ACL, unsuccessfully doing the same leg workouts as people with healthy knees. Never sits right with me. Ruined me and Matthew Judon, former Raven. Been told them to fire him, and they did fire the strength coach, uh, which is the good news for the Ravens. Hopefully in the next survey for them, Miles, they'll be better than an F-. minus. They can't get any worse.
1: Yeah, the whole F-minus thing, man, that that tells you something about just how bad it is. Um, I thought that that was really interesting, too, because you look at around the league, it's the strength coaches and the training staffs often received high marks for whatever um, they are doing with the players, right? And, you know, you sometimes had poor marks for the strength room and the training room, but not often the the staff itself. And I think Sims is right with that point. Those guys are positive. They're trying to help uh, players be the best that they can be. Same with the training staffs, you know? They are often guys who are men and women who are in there and are helpful with the players. They get to know the players. They understand what the players have to do to be successful. So to see something like that, and especially with an organization that we regard as successful as the, we do with the Ravens, that, that was something that really caught my eye.
0: Yeah. You would never expect an organization that is regarded as being buttoned up and respected to be faltering in such an important area. How you get your players ready, whether it's strength training, flexibility, nutrition, etc. You would expect that the Ravens would be at the top of the list, not dead last. Uh, another issue in MD, I don't have a, the, the the ability to focus for long periods of time, if you haven't figured that really? out. Really? <laughs> and I, I, I pulled I pulled up the survey, and I started looking through it. And it's like, I just don't have the patience to go through this team by team, item by item. Fortunately, Michael David Smith, a.k.a. MDS, does. He found this. The Chiefs have, under this survey, the NFL's worst training staff. And this is the thing that really is alarming. Players say that the Chiefs discourage the team from reporting injuries, and that traces all the way to head trainer Rick Burkholder, who has been tied at the hip to Andy Reid forever, it seems. But that's alarming, uh, and uh, I the fact that they are discouraging players from reporting injuries to me that would cry out for something more substantive, some sort of investigation, some sort of an effort beyond just publishing these report cards, Miles.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I mean, that's something that you never want to see because the health and safety of the players has to be paramount, right? And the other element to this, and Shereen Williams and I were talking about this yesterday a little bit. I mean, when you have somebody like Patrick Mahomes who does what he did in the postseason with a high ankle sprain, it almost makes it seem like, well, if that guy's doing it, then this is what we have to do. We have to put our bodies and arms in harm's way and on the line, and we've got to play when we're hurt, and we've got to gut through this and that. And it's like, man, if you are really injured and you are really hurt, then you really should not be putting yourself out there like that. Everything is circumstantial. Things are different on a case-by-case basis. And so I don't, I don't want Chiefs players to feel like they cannot – Really express the way that they may be injured. That's not good for football. It's really just not good for the game. Even when you see Patrick Mahomes gutting through what he gutted through,
0: and and there's a balance there because and you know we hear this all the time. There's a between being hurt and injured, right? And and look, some injuries you can play through, some you shouldn't play through, but all of them should be disclosed. I mean, I'm yes. not advocating hypochondria. But if you have anything that doesn't feel right, why aren't you going to the training staff? Hey, can you take a look at this? And and see, I wonder how much of it is aimed at concealing injuries from the injury report versus just encouraging players to suck it up and play through it. I think both factors are at play here. On one hand, you want these guys to, to not use it as an easy path to get out of practice, right? right. Oh, yeah, so-and-so's hurt again. you know. But also... When they come to the training room and they get treatment, that is the ticket to being disclosed on the injury report. And some teams want to minimize the bullseye that other players will put on that injured body part. So you cut that off completely if you discourage them from even saying I've got a bad elbow. I've got a bad shoulder. And there are some players who are wired to do that. I'm a firm believer. Matthew Stafford just never says anything to anybody about his injuries. That's how they end up not on the report, unless it really is so bad that he has no choice but to go get looked at. But either way, Miles, I think the culture of every team and the entire league needs to be, if you have anything that doesn't feel right, go to the training room. That's why they're there. And any hint of discouraging players from doing that requires intervention, investigation, and correction.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you because this is one of the things that should be the consequence of this survey, right? We now see different things from around the league about how these different teams operate and teams that are not operating at a standard procedure need to do something consequential and tangible so that they will be the next time this survey is produced. Right? We have to see some changes from different teams because of what this survey has produced. It's not just going to be, oh, well, I don't know. Now we didn't know how these other teams operated. And now, you know, uh, what were we going to do? You know, everybody does things differently. We're 32 different entities. It's not just going to be the case like that anymore. You have to be able to make changes. You have to be able to do things that show that you really, really honestly and truly care about the players and the way things happen in your building.
0: And kudos to the NFL Players Association. This is a tangible way that the players can push back against the immense power that the oligarchs have, shaming them, calling them out. You you think Michael Bidwell wasn't twisted up in knots the past couple of days as it's come to light that sure because because the narrative has been the narrative has been all oh, the the Cardinals under Michael Bidwell aren't as cheap as they were under his father. No, they're not. Right. They're cheaper, right. right? And and this is tangible proof of it. So, hey, the best way to instigate change is to shame those who need to change into changing. So I think this was genius. I think it's brilliant. And hopefully this is the thing that will pull. And, you know, this whole F minus thing, it is funny, but it's yeah. sad, too, because, you know, I, and I've seen people say, oh, oh, you're you're oh, p- let's pity the millionaires. You know, these teams are paying them a lot of money. Well, they're paying a lot of money because they have to. They have a salary cap that includes a salary floor. Everybody's getting rich here. But how you treat your players, how you treat these employees of your team, it shows whether you view them as pieces who are replaceable and interchangeable in a football machine, or you view them as human beings. And anytime you see that F minus, that's a sign that these players are treated as cogs in the football machine and not as human beings. And the players need to know that. And yeah, maybe they should avoid working for those organizations. And if they sign with them now, they can't say they didn't know, Miles
1: no doubt i mean the the whole thing about the cardinals you know taking a payroll deduction for dinner or other meals like that in the offseason that's absurd it's just ludicrous i mean and then the other one of the other things that stood out to me and i haven't gone through all 32 of these surveys yet but you have a situation with the los angeles rams los angeles chargers they share the same stadium the los angeles rams provide a family room the los angeles chargers do not how is that possible in the same building I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? It's not like you're sharing that building on the same day. At least usually. I know they played together at the end of the season. But, uh, you know, if you're the home team, you should have a family room if the other home team provides that. So it's just some easy, simple things, I think, that can be fixed.
0: I say this in jest, but there's a good chance that this joke probably is accurate Chances are, in the lease agreement between the Chargers and Stan Cronky, there's a line item for using that room, and they just choose not to pay that line item. Plain and simple. Plain. And th- that would be the most obvious explanation for it, yeah. that the family room isn't available to the Chargers family members because ownership doesn't want to pay that extra line item to Stan Cronky, which probably is astronomically more than it should be, because Stan Kroenke, all due respect, too late for that, but, yeah, you've got, you've got somebody that just doesn't want to pay that fee. And, and that's the other side of this, too. Like the whole meal thing, payroll deductions for food, all the food is a write-off. It's all part of the cost of doing business for, for the goodwill that you engender with your players. And the flip side, the ill will that you engender by charging them for their meal because they happen to be at the facility late, it is beyond asinine. And bottom line is this. Do you have a workplace? You want everybody to aspire to arrive early and stay late. Yeah. If you have a workplace that people want to be at, it's a magnet to get them there. If right. you have a workplace that is that is not desirable, they're going to be less likely to show up early, less likely to stay late, and less likely to come in in their day off. That's just mm-hmm. common sense. Which, which gets back to why so many owners will not vote when it's time to do it for Daniel Snyder to be ousted from Club Oligarch because the best owners love having 10 to 12 teams that are run by people who don't understand basic concepts like that, Miles. And the truth is, as this survey shows, there are 10 to 12 teams out there being run by people who don't get
2: it.
1: I wonder if Kyler Murray had to also have a payroll deduction if he were in there, you know, executing his study clause, which obviously now has been removed. But if he's in there and he's studying, shouldn't he also get food? I don't know.
0: They they may charge him a fee to use the study room. You don't know. (laughs) got to look very carefully at the fine print of that pay stub. You never know. Uh, All right. Let's go ahead and take a break. The latest on where things stand between Daniel Jones and the Giants as we sit just four days away from the deadline for applying the franchise tag. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Here are some of the things Joe Shane, the Giants GM, have said about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley throughout the week. Most recently, I wish we were closer to a deal with Daniel Jones and as Miles Simmons started to say earlier in the program, wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up first. See, I've gotten away with three of them so far today. We'll see four. if I ultimately get away with it if I'm back here on Monday. Is it four? I don't know. I always yeah. count it two. Anyway, yeah, anyway, anyway. The best part of that line for Bad Santa is the Thurman Merman reaction. Because his reaction is okay. I'll that one away for future use <laughs> thank you for that nugget of wisdom santa even though i know you're not the real santa i'm just playing along because i need a friend that kid that kid should have won the The actor whose name i've never known who plays thurman merman should have won the oscar for best supporting actor in the year that bad santa came out i am convinced of that that is one of the most brilliant acting jobs i have ever seen in my 57 plus years okay so the giants Trying to act natural, trying to trying to think everything's under control as Daniel Jones wants 45 million per year. And you know, we caught wind of that a couple of weeks ago. And people were like, oh, you're making it up. Here you go again. Here you go again. Well, you know what? After a couple of days in Indy, forty forty five may be the floor, not the ceiling, Miles, based upon the stuff I was here and there.
1: Mm, well, I mean, look, it's a negotiation starting point. If you're Daniel Jones, why shouldn't you ask for that? That's kind of the market rate for quarterbacks, right? So if it's, this is a negotiation and I am Daniel Jones' agent, then, yeah, I want the most that I can get for my client. So why would you not be there? I, I mean, that's sort of the thing that like, people always are like, oh, my God, how are you going to pay your quarterback that much money? Like, I, I I don't know. It's just what the market rate is. And also, it's not your money. So like I, I just I, I always get confused when people what was start talking voice? like that. <laughs> oh, no, that, was, that, was a, that was a new character. I I even all again. right, I, all right. It's my annoyed yeah. person on Twitter voice who I think is <laughs>
0: kind of dumb and doesn't
1: understand the way football and
0: contracts <laughs> work.
1: But like, is that not you know what we see all the time? How are you going to do that? How are you gonna? How are you gonna pay that guy that much money? That's just the way it works. And the all the cap does is go up. So don't worry about it. It's also not your money. So it, that that stuff, like, I don't I don't get it.
0: Well, that's the thing. We hear some significant number for a player, quarterback, whoever. And we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's getting that much money. Right. But the cap keeps going up and up and up. And the owners are floating around the Mediterranean Sea on 300-foot yachts. Okay? They're fine. And they'll continue to be fine. Nobody's had to take out a second mortgage on his super yacht because of a quarterback (laughs) contract yet. Yeah, and it, it, it will not. That I he, oh, well. understand. I I under. Well, that's true. I understand the psychology and and I don't know whether or not anybody is charging his or her team four and a half million dollars per year in advertising fees for putting the team logo on the super yacht either. But I digress. I I understand that from the perspective of the people who don't have as much as NFL players or owners, they're all in the same bucket of just natural resentment. But folks, you got to understand the players, if you're making a million a year and the owner is making 500 million a year in revenue or whatever it is, let's just say, let's, let's keep it more, more simple than that. If your net worth as a player is 5 million and your net worth as an owner is 5 billion, that is a, gigantic astronomical seismic difference for most people, the M and the B doesn't mean anything. If it's an alien, then it's somebody that we should, should resent. They're rich. Most of the players who cycle through the NFL do not emerge on the other side rich. And it's not because they haven't properly managed their money, right? Most of the players in the NFL are not making millions most of the players in the NFL are looking at 3 or 4 years of wages in the range of 750,000 to a million, maybe less than that, and then you take out taxes and fees and and your cost of like you you don't have this giant nest egg when you're 28 and the NFL machine spits you out and you still got 60 or 70 years of life left. That mm-hmm. is dramatically different from the billion dollar owners. And and I I don't know why most people refuse to see the difference, Miles. It drives me crazy. Oh, I don't know. But like I said, I mean,
1: it, it's when it comes down to it, you have to pay your market rate for a quarterback unless, you know, at some point somebody's going to take one of these mid-tier quarterback deals. I kind of think it might be Derek Carr. Like, he's not going to make 45 plus million. Nobody's going to pay him that. And, you know, maybe you should not want to ask for that, but I think you have to be realistic and also know, and a good agent can help you do this, like, you're not going to receive that on the open market for a variety of reasons. If you're Daniel Jones and you kind of have the New York Giants over a barrel because you've got your quarterback – and your marquee running back who are both up for free agency and they're going to have to choose whether or not to franchise you and then figure out something with this other running back, then yeah, you start to ask for the moon because that's a completely different situation, right? So all these things are circumstantial and that's how you're able to negotiate. That's how you're able to figure out what the market rate is. And that's why you can be like, yeah, 45 million is what I want right now.
0: Here's the problem for Daniel Jones. The franchise tag non-exclusive is $32.416 million. So yes. the Giants will just say, and, and this is a no-brainer, when, when Jones did the switch from CAA to Athletes First, and I said this last week, it's not like he went from mom-and-pop store to high-end agency. He went from one high-end agency to another. If CAA wasn't getting him $45 million a year, there's no freaking way, all due respect, that Athletes First is getting him $45 million a year. It's just not happening. Right. The Giants will go $32.4 million this year. They'll do the 20% raise next year. That's 71 million over 2 years. And then they could do the 44% raise year 3, and the total payout one year at a time for 3 years will average 42 million, still less than what the guy wants. Why wouldn't you do that if you're the Giants? Right. Because every step of the way, you have the ability Miles to pull the plug. You know, if it turns out that 2022 was the exception, not the rule, and it was temporary, and it was Brian Dayball and his coaching, not Daniel Jones and his inherent abilities, which is entirely possible, then you can get away after one year. You can back out. You can move on. And, And, you know, for Jones, okay, fine, you force the Giants to tag you, and then Saquon Barkley leaves. Good luck having the same year you had last year if you don't have Saquon Barkley having a pretty damn good season. They better find somebody else to come in and be Saquon Barkley, even though that person isn't Saquon Barkley. That makes it harder for Daniel Jones to replicate what he did last year. So, I, and I'd, I've heard different stories. And, you know, that one of the things about going to Indy, I mean, the rumors are everywhere and which people close to a player is influencing them. But this could be a situation where somebody is influencing the player to think he's worth more than he is. And now the agents are, are trying to, to deliver on promises made as prime. We know this happens when a player changes from one agency to another, there's, there's something that that new agency said that got yes. that player's attention. And I doubt that it was, Hey, you know what? There's really no difference between us and CAA. If they couldn't get it for you, we're not, <laughs> not going to get it for you. Either. I have a feeling that's not what was said. Yeah,
1: probably not. But I mean, that's, that is the kind of difference though. I mean, when you're talking about 45 versus 32 in this first year, right? I mean, that's, you could say all right let's meet somewhere in the middle you know 38 to 40 and try to figure this out for a couple years and then we'll see what happens um but i think the way you just put it mike where if you go tag 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 and you're still averaging less than what he wants right now over three years that's, a, that's, an in, that's an approach that would make sense for the New York Giants because they can pull the plug. And you, you just don't really know exactly what Daniel Jones is as a quarterback. And if it turns out that it's just, I mean, he's kind of average, maybe slightly above average, then you can pull the plug before it gets to be some astronomical number that you just don't want to pay.
0: I did a podcast appearance last week with uh, a Giants huddle from the team's official website, and I was asked about the possibility of a short-term deal, and I initially said, I don't think that would work, and then I started to come around and said, you know what? Maybe that is a win-win here. Maybe that is a way to work this out and give the Giants some flexibility to really study whether or not he's a long-term guy and get him paid fairly and give him some security, more than $32.4 million. And I right. had someone that I know and trust break down for me a very simple, very simple two-year deal. $30 million signing bonus, million in base salary this year. That's a $14 million cap number. $35 million in compensation for 2024. A $41 million cap number. $25, $26, $27 are all avoidable. There'd be an $18 million cap charge in 2025. $73 million, fully guarantee it. That gives him two years of franchise tag pay, plus a little bit more. Fully guaranteed for now. It gives the Giants two years with him. And then out the door potentially in 2025 if I was Jones I would want a commitment to no franchise tag no transition tag I walk away that's where the negotiation may get a little rocky cuz the Giants may say hey we still want to have the chance to tag you on the back end but um that's a way to to find a middle ground here if as adults we sit down and look at this and understand not only does the CBA give the Giants the right to tag the player it also gives the the Giants the right to apply a tag that is far lower than market value, and that's just yeah. the way it is. And Jones' only Jones only alternative, Miles, is to go look for someone else to sign into do an offer sheet, which I doubt is going to happen, or sit out, which I doubt is going to happen. So it would be nice to think they could come together, understand the circumstances, and work out a deal, and then use the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley and keep Barkley around for Daniel Jones.
1: Yeah, it's interesting just how different the two situations are. We're talking about with Baltimore and then with the New York football giants when it comes to their quarterbacks, right? Because this is not the same, you know, when we're talking about Daniel Jones and the non-exclusive franchise tech, we don't think anybody is at realistically going to sign him to an offer sheet that would ostensibly have the Giants receive two first-round picks for Daniel Jones, right? This is not, Daniel Jones is not Lamar Jackson, and I don't really mean that in a disrespectful way. That's just objectively true because Lamar Jackson has an MVP award. Fact. Yeah, and, and Daniel Jones does not. Right. I mean, what have we seen from Daniel Jones that makes us think that he's exactly the kind of quarterback that Lamar Jackson is? Yes, Daniel Jones can make plays with his legs, but he's not nearly as dynamic as Lamar Jackson. So it's when you have different circumstances that makes it play out in a different way. And there is more of a predictability factor because Jones is working with an agency and Lamar Jackson is not. So, I mean, there there are just all of those different factors that are going into it. Um, when you're talking about Jones and the Giants right now.
0: Yeah, and we'll see how it plays out. And again, if they can't get it done, franchise tag. And you're right, no one's going to sign him to an offer sheet and give up two first-round picks, but somebody could try to trade for him. And maybe the Giants will say, you know, hey, Brian Dayball's the guy that made Daniel Jones into Daniel Jones. He can make somebody else into a player who plays like Daniel Jones. But that'll all be determined again four days from now, Tuesday at 4 Eastern. That's the window closing on the application of the franchise tag when we return the window has opened on quarterbacks at the podium in indy bryce young from alabama has spoken we'll let you know some of the things he had to say when pft live continues right after this There's the crowd at the Indiana Convention Center talking to Bryce Young. And somewhere in there, it's kind of a Where's Waldo game, somewhere in there is Shereen Williams in that crowd of humanity. Uh, She asked Bryce Young how much weight he put on and what he expects to weigh. He said in the 200 range, I assume he hasn't put on 200. I assume he expects to weigh 200. We will see tomorrow. Yes, we will also see how tall he is. He's listed as six foot. Todd McShay reported if it... Classifies as a report not that long ago, 5'10 and a half. But yeah, once you get to the NFL level, high school and college, you can round up. If it's good, you can round down. If it's bad, you can't hide at the scouting combine. It's one of the aspects of the whole process that is dehumanizing guys walking around in their underwear to be measured and weighed and gawked at by scouts. But the height is undeniable. The hand size, which we'll be hearing about, is undeniable.
1: Yeah. Well, if they're small or if they're big, I mean, I always remember Jared Goff in the 16 combine, you know, and he got asked about his hand size and fumbles. And then, yeah, I had a feeling that was coming and he goes, how many did I have my freshman year? And then the reporter answered and Then he goes, well, how many did I have the rest of the time? Exactly. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting with Bryce young because yeah, he is more slight, than you would probably like to see um, as a quarterback. So I don't necessarily think like 200 is a magic number. And again, there are exceptions to everything. And based on what he's done on the field at Alabama, there's good reason to believe that he can be a successful pro quarterback. But everything is a factor and everything is a data point.
0: Bryce Young also said he's been talking with Patriots quarterback Mac Jones about the draft process. Don't get advice from Mac Jones about how to act on the sideline or on the field. I would suggest a different course, a different, a different path when it comes to containing or otherwise your frustrations during a game. He met with the Texans. He says it went great, and his meeting with the Bears went well, said it was an honor, a lot of knowledge and wisdom in the room, right? The Bears aren't drafting you, Bryce Young, and you don't want to be drafted by the Bears. See, that's the thing. If the Bears trade Justin Fields— if they would, and I think it would be ludicrous if they did. they He's not a fully completed scratch-off lottery ticket winner, but he's pretty damn close. I mean, you're in the money. It's just a question of how much with Justin Fields as the, the lottery ticket draft pick. If you go Bryce Young before we really know what Justin Fields is going to be, that's just more pressure on Bryce Young. That's something I've tried to become sensitive to and educate fans on. There's pressure enough in being the first overall pick or in the yeah. top five. Teams make it worse by, you know, if the Colts would trade up from four to one, now all of a sudden, oh, you're the next Andrew Luck, the next Peyton Manning, just like the 49ers. That poor kid Trey Lance, he's got no control over that. He gets thrust into this situation where he's the savior now and they give up three first round picks and a third round pick to get him. There's already enough pressure in being a top five pick. It makes it incredibly worse if you do that. So he shouldn't want the Bears to make him the first overall pick. Maybe a flip-flop with the Texans. Maybe that's ultimately what happens. But there's going to be enough pressure being number one overall. And I know the other side of that is, oh, guys should welcome it. There's a certain point, though, Miles, when you're talking about 20, 21, 22-year-old kid, it's just too much.
1: Well, I mean, if you're talking about Bryce Young or any one of these guys that's been at a big-time football program – He knows how to deal with pressure to a certain extent. And, and, you know, I mean, anytime you're being coached by Nick Saban at the college level, that's a that's a huge level of pressure there in and of itself. So it's not like he's coming into this totally inexperienced, totally green, you know, things like that. Um, And he's played well at one of the best college football programs in the country. But I, I do think that you're right, that it is a different level of pressure when you go from college to pro, when you go from college highly touted recruit to professional who is drafted at the top of the list and you are now supposed to be the savior, whatever, quote unquote, for you know 10 to 15 years. It, it makes it very different. But I, I, I don't want to discount the experience that he's already had.
0: State quarterback C.J. Stroud also at the podium today. He said he's had a formal meeting with the Falcons. He met with the Raiders. He said Arthur Smith, the Falcons coach, and the GM, Terry Fontenot, were fiery Uh, Raiders. Interesting first meeting for Stroud. He said, I actually think I've been the best player in college football two years in a row. I don't even think I've touched my potential yet. And look, you have to be confident, confident to the point of delusional to be successful in the NFL. I wouldn't expect him to say anything else. But, you know, this is one of the great questions. And, hey, I go back to 2018. Baker Mayfield, one. Sam Darnold, three. Josh Allen, seven. Josh Rosen, 10. Lamar Jackson, 32. Let's not get so caught up in when these guys come off the board. They all have a chance to be great, and they all have a chance to be not great, Miles.
1: Yeah, you know, what I like about C.J. Stroud is that he played his best game when the lights were brightest against uh, Georgia in, in the national semifinal game, right? Like, that, that to me means something. Now, you want to see that consistency all the time and the way he plays like that all the time. But the best coaches always said, you know, you, a guy does something once, I can get him to do that consistently. I can coach him to do those kinds of things success, uh, successfully Um, and continuously. So, I mean, I I think that it's going to be interesting to see how C.J. Stroud performs at the NFL level and where he's going to go. Because I think we all kind of assume that Bryce Young is going to be the first QB off the board. So then what does that mean for C.J. Stroud? Does it mean that somebody's going to try to trade up to number two overall if the Texans go up to number one, right? And then they try to get Stroud or is where is he going to fall? Is he going to go all the way down to where the Raiders are? I mean, if he did, I think that would be great for Las Vegas. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, they, these guys all have a ton of potential and we'll see who's going to get into the right situation to squeeze it on out of them.
0: You know, you made a great point that I hadn't really thought of before. It's embedded in what you just said. The Bears could trade – with the Texans to go to two, and then the Bears can trade again. down again from two. Hell yeah. Yeah, they can yeah. get instead of... Because if, tra- if you trade with the Texans, you still basically have the number one overall pick if you weren't going to take a quarterback. But then you can trade again, and you can add more lottery tickets. That's ultimately what these draft picks are. And the more lottery tickets you have, the more picks you have, the greater the chance you have of getting great players. That's the Jimmy Johnson approach. Get more picks. More picks means more players means greater chance of having great players on your team. Okay, Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis will be throwing at the combine. Bryce Young won't. Which quarterback are you most looking forward to seeing do what he can do on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium?
1: I guess it's Anthony Richardson because of just the electricity when he is on, you know, I mean, there are throws that he makes where he's rolling out and then there's the runs that he makes, you know, where he's just absolutely shaking guys and doing things that not many guys can do on a football field. But when, when that guy takes off, he is fast. I mean, he is just absolutely explosive. So it's against air. It doesn't necessarily mean all that much, but it still should be fun to watch him throw. Mike, who are you looking forward to seeing?
0: Yeah, I agree with you on Richardson. He he's speaking right now. Courtney says that he says his NFL comp is Cam Newton, which is a pretty high bar, but you know, this is a guy who is regarded as incredible physical specimen and then the question is, can you harness and direct and make him into the kind of quarterback he can be. I just say take him for what he is and build your offense around him. Haven't we talked about that over and over again for the past few years? Isn't that what we're seeing? Isn't that why so many college quarterbacks are successful? You take what he does well and you do it, and then the things he doesn't do well you don't do, and you try to coach him up into turning the liabilities into assets. So I'm most intrigued by Richardson, and there's a chance he could end up being the best of the bunch at the mm-hmm. NFL level, but that's, that's part of the process. It's part of the fun and we see how it plays out. And I also say this with Bryce young, not working out. I, I maybe it's because I just don't pay as much attention as I used to, but I, I I think we've evolved past the point of trying to shame these guys into working out because there's this whole collective, oh, okay. how dare you not entertain us crowd out there. Oh, what? Don't you want to compete? Don't, don't you want to compete? Don't you want to, it's not competition. And guys are going to make their own decisions. they got to make the right decision for them. And it always drove me crazy when people in the media who have a vested interest in having these guys go out there and create content for us to televise or scrutinize, don't do it, because then we have to find something else to talk about. Boo-hoo, poor us. Make your decisions for yourself, and don't listen to any of us idiots in the media when we try to push you to do something that may be against your interests.
1: Woo. Yeah. No, I mean, I I don't think I've seen much criticism of of Bryce Young for not throwing at the combine. And I don't, I I don't know that anybody should be criticizing him for not throwing at the combine. Now, I mean, what, what are we really going to learn about Bryce Young's throwing arm when he's throwing against air? I mean, I, it was really cool, you know, a few years ago when I was here and I was working for a team, so I had the team credential, that's back when they didn't just let the media go in there all willy-nilly as they do now, which is a good thing, and watch the workouts, so I would sort of sneak into the bowl and I'd be in the upper deck, and I remember watching the guys throw, and Josh Allen, one of the most impressive arms I'd ever seen, he was like, really just... Yacking the ball down the field and just kind of overthrowing guys and it's like wow this is very impressive but i mean does this really mean all that much at the nfl level and for the first few years the answer was no not really because the accuracy wasn't quite there and now he has gotten so much better at it so i say all that to say like there's not much you're going to learn by a guy throwing you know in the combine in that setting in you know the controlled environment that is lucas oil stadium
0: Far more importantly, to summarize the broader point that you made, when you were working for a team and had special access to the combine workouts, your position was, let's keep out the riffraff. Now that you're among the riffraff, you're very happy that they're letting the riffraff in. Is that what you're saying?
1: No, it's not. I mean, I didn't mind. I, there's so many empty seats I'm, in that I'm stadium scared. anyway. I never made sense to me that you couldn't, it's, that nobody could just It's always
0: me. been stupid. <laughs> it's yeah. all. It's. It's always been stupid that, the, you know, that... that yeah. I, don't get me started. Don't get me started yeah. <laughs> on the the differences between independent media and bought and paid for by the league and its team's okay media boy. and how they get treated. Let's take a break. Von oh, Miller yeah. is at the Scouting Combine, not as a member of the bought and paid for in-house media, but he's trying to become a member of the bought and paid for executive class. He wants to be a GM. We'll tell you what he had to say about that when PFT Live continues right after that. So Von Miller, 12 years after he was drafted by the Denver Broncos, by a GM who was a Hall of Fame level player, Von Miller is at the scouting combine. He wants to become a general manager. So he decided, and he explained this to Mike Kliss of 9 News in Denver, I decided to show up, want to meet with some people, I want to begin to learn the craft. Here's the problem, though, because I heard about this yesterday before I saw the Kliss story. Miller is reaching out to general managers of teams other than the Buffalo Bills, the team he's currently under contract with, and wanting to meet with them. And these other GMs are like, uh, Vaughn, you're under contract with the Bills. We can't meet with you, even if it's to walk you through you know, the process of scouting. It's tampering if we have any conversations with you whatsoever.
1: Yeah, that is is kind of the thing, isn't it? Because he's not a free agent. I mean, certainly even if he was a pending free agent, you know, he would still be technically under contract with the Bills right now. So I hope they are doing him a solid with the Bills and, you know, kind of showing him around, you know, and that Brandon Bean is open and honest and, you know, being able to speak with him and different things like that. Because this is a cool thing. You know, a lot of times players go into broadcasting or then they want to get into it later and, you know, they haven't necessarily gone through the tree of being a scout or whatnot. I, I think that this is cool that Von Miller is taking the time to invest in himself now, even before his playing career is over.
0: I'd have to do the research here, but I'm assuming Ozzie Newsom did it the old fashioned way because he, he was never in the media. You go be an area scout. You work your way up. You do all the. You check all the boxes that the traditional GM path has in front of him or her because it's it's just it's a matter of time before there's a female GM in the NFL. But you do all those things and then you graduate into that position. The John Lynch, John Elway, Matt Millen model is you become prominent elsewhere and then you just sashay right into that job. And we'll see what Vaughn Miller wants to do, but it sounds like he's willing to, to start from the ground floor and work his way up. So good luck to him if that's what he wants to do. We wish him all the best. We'll take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Usually in the offseason, you see football camps conducted by... NFL players in their hometowns or where they went to college. Michael Parsons and Andre Sisco taking it on the road to Europe. Parsons announced this last night on Twitter, Miles, and look, they are going to see an overwhelming demand because the folks in Europe who are football fans are zealous and starving for anything. The idea of one of the best young players in all of football going to Europe to these different Countries and cities. I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. And I think it's only going to make people there more eager to get more American football.
1: Yeah, you're right, Mike. I mean, you see these camps all over the country all the time. But I think the fact that Micah Parsons is going to take himself over to, to Europe and then go around like this, basically on a tour, I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's going to be something where you might see a lot of kids disappointed because they might not get to go, right? Talk about overwhelming demand. This is one of the best players for the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. It's going to be fun for him, I'm sure, to be over there and experience all that.
0: It gets discussed and dangled from time to time, but the possibility of eventually a four-team division in Europe is very real. The commissioner acknowledged it in October during the run-up to one of the games in london a couple of teams in london a team in germany another team in europe it's not as crazy as it sounds just the question is when will it happen but it feels like it's creeping in that direction because there are so many zealous fans over there as our friends watching on sky sports nfl or in the off season it's apparently called sky sports action here's to an action-packed weekend travel safe home miles thanks for your contribution this morning everybody we'll see you monday is there such a thing as a traveler